welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. We're going to have to fix the open there, but we are back. Soccer Morning, backheel.com. We are live and on the air. One of those things that uh, will get fixed as we move along here, but uh, certainly good to be back on the air live on backheel.com. Uh, a couple of days off there from the web show, could not be helped, had to do with the kid and school, but uh, we've got a big show for you today. We are going to make it up to you today, I promise. You've heard about a couple of big stories in the world of football, and uh, we are going to cover two of them, many of them, with uh, two very excellent guests. I will start with our first guest coming up in just a little bit, Christopher Atkins, who is a player agent. Represent, uh, a representative based in Guangzhou, China. My uh, pronunciation is probably way off, but that's as close as I can get with my Western tongue. So we'll talk to Christopher about the explosion of spending that has now happened in the Chinese Premier League, you've heard, or Chinese Super League, rather. You've heard uh, most recently about Jackson Martinez and his big move. I've got that in the news. We'll get some of the more some more of those details here coming up. Also on this program... Luke Moore, a regular on Soccer Morning, will join us to talk about the English Premier League because we had a round of games yesterday. We've got a couple of games today. Obviously, the state of the Premier League title race needs to be discussed because look, still at the top there, Leicester City Football Club, the Fox is leading the way three points ahead of everybody, and it remains a stunning turn of events uh, this deep into the Premier League season. So, Christopher Atkins, player representative based in China. Uh, Luke Moore from the Football Ramble, talking Premier League. Those are two excellent guests. That means you do not need to change anything. Stay, stay right there. Let's hit the news. We'll get to Christopher Atkins for what should be a very fascinating discussion. Leicester City beats Liverpool 2 nothing, maintaining their lead in the English Premier League title race. Jamie Vardy with an absolute stunning goal, a goal that uh, Jurgen Klopp said he almost cheered for. Uh, that's how good that goal was. Goal of the month there from Jamie Vardy, who continues his scoring ways. For Leicester City, other Premier League results. Arsenal falling flat in a uh, goalless draw with South Southampton. City winning away to Sunderland. Manchester United 3-0 over Stoke City. So some good news there for, uh, uh, for Manchester United. Norwich City losing 0-3 to Spurs at Carroll Road. So you've got, uh, obviously you've got a Premier League uh, race that is, again, very fascinating. 50 points at the top. Leicester City, Manchester City three points back. Tottenham and Arsenal tied on 45, uh, with Tottenham holding uh, a goal differential tiebreaker over their North London rivals, and then obviously Manchester United. And West Ham, Southampton, Liverpool, 6-7-8. So it's a, a fascinating season, and the Premier League continues to be so. Atletico Madrid has sold Colombian striker Jackson Martinez to Guangzhou Evergrande Taobao. I'm not going to even try that. Of the Chinese Super League, for 45 or 49, depending on the exchange rate that you see, $49 million. $49 million, the transfer fee. Martinez signs a four-year deal with the club. He scored just three goals in 22 appearances for Atleti after making a big-money move from Porto uh, last year. Martinez is the latest big-money signing by clubs in the Chinese Super League. Uh, you've heard about Ramirez. You've heard about Jovino. You've heard about Freddy Guarín. So this is clearly a trend. There's been a, a massive investment in the Chinese Super League. We're going to talk to Christopher Atkins about where all this money is coming from and what it means. I, I have some very pointed questions about what this means for the 
transfer market around the world if the Chinese are going to come in and spend this much money. And, and they've invested in other parts of the football world as well, including uh, in France, in Portugal, uh, numerous places. UEFA Secretary General Gianni Infantino gets the backing of Alex Ferguson and Russia ahead of this month's FIFA presidential election. Ferguson says, quote, in my role as ambassador to UEFA over the last few years, I've gotten to know Gianni very well. I think he's got good professionalism, discipline, organizational ability, and knowledge of the game, and I wish him every success in his quest to be a FIFA president. Infantino is getting momentum in the race against Sheikh Salman bin Ibrahim al-Khalifa, Prince Ali bin al-Hussein, Jerome Champagne, and Tokyo Sheshwali. That's your group currently running for FIFA president. Again, the vote coming at the end of this month, if I'm not mistaken. It's been so long in the buildup, and we've had the, uh, the obviously, the um, elimination of some of the names, including Michel Platini, that it's been hard to keep up with the race. MLS has ordered Orlando City Football, sorry, Soccer Club, they're the ones that do that, they've Orlando, uh, ordered Orlando City Soccer Club to cease its chase of AC Milan midfielder Antonio Nostarino because DC United holds exclusive MLS discovery rights. Stephen Goff reports that United officials were irate that Orlando had meddled and disrupted negotiations with Nosorino, reporting that several trips to Italy had been uh, made in an attempt to convince Nosorino to join DC United. Orlando got involved uh, in, in MLS terms. This is tampering. Uh, DC United has not yet filed an official tampering claim, uh, hence no response from MLS publicly. Uh, but reports behind the scenes are that DC United is very, very upset. Orlando City and head coach Adrian Heath were fined just last year when Heath com- commented that he would attempt to sign sporting Kansas City striker Dom Dwyer, a player who had previously been with Orlando City during their, their stint in the USL. Uh, Orlando City did not seem to have learned their lesson, although we could obviously have a discussion about the rules that dictate who can talk to who when it comes to MLS. Games today in the Premier League, you got Everton hosting Newcastle and Watford hosting Chelsea. Uh, Barcelona against Valencia in the Copa del Rey is a, is a pretty big game. I've seen that both Neymar and Messi are expected to be available for that match. You've got a, a whole host of games in Italy, including Lazio hosting Napoli, uh, Palermo hosting AC Milan, Juventus hosting Genoa, Inter against Chievo Verona, Fiorentina and Carpi. A couple of other games there on the schedule in Italy as well. France, also a, a whole full rack of games, including PSG hosting Lorient, uh, Lyon, Bordeaux, Nice, and Toulouse. Um, a couple of other games there. Uh, Copa Libertadores this evening as well. So a, a whole host of games on a Wednesday. A host of games to talk about from Tuesday. Two very excellent guests today, including Chris, uh, Christopher Atkins coming up to talk about the explosion of spending in China, what this means for global football, what it means for the Chinese Super League, uh, the investments that have been made there, the rise of Asian football in general, so many different layers to uh, to pull apart when it comes to China. Freddie Montero also making that move for, for American fans who remember him from the Seattle Sounders. And then Luke Moore from the Football Ramble will join us to talk about the Premier League and... Uh, all of the intrigue there. It's, there's plenty of it. Man, it's good to be back. Soccer boarding on backheel.com. Do not go anywhere. We will be right back. Like 
Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, we are back. Uh, we're obviously not on World Soccer Talk, but that's okay. It says my name and the name of the show, and that's what you need to know. We are, uh, we're back here on a Wednesday. Um, one of the more stunning developments uh, recently uh, in world football, especially in this transfer window, has been the amount of spending being done by Chinese Super League teams. Uh, we heard yesterday about the transfer of Jackson Martinez from Atletico Madrid to uh, Guangzhou Evergrande of China to talk about this uh, this Chinese Super League, um, I, I don't know what the word is exactly, revolution. Christopher Atkins, who is based in Guangzhou, joins us now on Soccer Morning. He is a player agent uh, and representative. Uh, hi, Christopher, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I am doing well. Okay, so uh, before we, uh, we may deal with some, you know, some uh, around-the-world communication issues here technolo- technology-wise. Hopefully the connection holds. Um, first of all, I mean, I, I hate to be blunt about this and, and simple, but what is happening and why is it happening? I, I think that's the question everyone's asking besides how, how long it can go on. I mean, genu- generally what you're seeing is uh, a lot of government-encouraged uh, investment into football by various parties. Uh, they're huge businesses uh, domestically. They're now getting involved in football, and they're putting money into to grow the sport and grow the the sports industry in China. Now, now the the I'll come back to the the government encouraged part of this, but certainly, you, you know, uh, China uh, China as an economy, China as a a force in the world is does not need any. Uh, we don't need to to discuss that or in, introduce that idea. Clearly, that's. That's just a fact to be dealt with. Why is it taking so long then for for China to flex some of the economic muscle on the football scene? I think most people are generally aware, and certainly those who've been to China are aware, that China is, is still very much a developing country. There's still large swathes of the population who are involved in, um, in labor and factories and manufacturing. So they, they've still got a lot of domestic issues to overcome. So... I guess for a long time the the focus was on developing that side of thing and and while exports were strong that was allowing China's uh, economy to grow now the now the economy is obviously slowing down in that respect with uh, the ability of uh, the US market and also the European market to to buy those products di- diminishing so China's got to find a way to evolve its economy into a more multifaceted uh earning power so one of those ways is entertainment. So the government is is currently trying to expand the music business, the film business, and also sports in China. And we see that with the the application for the Winter Olympics, which they won. They also hosted the Summer Olympics not long back. And now I think the main focus uh, in terms of an individual sport is on football, as they see that you know this is the global game. This is the game where where people all around the world spend money to watch, spend money on uh, merchandise. So if China can have its own product in that regard, it will really help uh, the sports economy in China develop. I, I want to come to the position of, of football and, and sports and entertainment in, in Chinese culture here in, in a second. But but from the outside, when we see whether we're, uh, you know, like me based in the United States and certainly lots of, of soccer fans here or or the Europeans, uh, you know, the the explosion of, of money and, you know, specifically, let's let's just take Jackson Martinez for, for one example, although there's numerous players who have made a move. 
it, it's pretty, does, is it clear that that uh, that China is is paying a premium here um, because of maybe because of the youth of the of the league and, and the lack of prestige? Certainly, Jackson Martinez can't make the Champions League of of UEFA if he's playing in China, but he's clearly more than willing to take on the adventure for that paycheck. I think so. I think in terms of salary, definitely that's the case. You know, players are going to take a lot more financial motivation in order for them to give up the Champions League or give up a top European league to to head to China or even in the case of say Brazilian players coming from Brazil to give up their their home comforts to to come out here. Uh, In terms of transfer fees I think they're they're definitely paying a premium based upon what clubs expect Chinese teams to be able to pay and also you've got a number of uh, People in the middle maybe also needing their their payments out of these these transfer fees because the Chinese maybe don't have the direct contacts themselves. But that's something that that will come in time, and and I'm sure these fees will get more realistic in five, ten years time. But for the moment, they they understand they have to pay a premium, and in many cases they're not even worried about paying a premium. They just want to get the guy they want, yeah. and it doesn't particularly matter how much they've got to pay. Uh, well, when you have uh, when you have that that amount of money, um, it, it's less imperative to get a good deal. But you know, my, uh, my I'm no I'm no economist, uh, Christopher. But but my understanding of of how economics work is if somebody comes in and starts throwing out a lot of uh, around a lot of money, that's going to change the market for everybody else, regardless of of who's doing the buying and the selling. Is is there going to be a knock on effect of Chinese teams coming in and dropping you know fifty million dollars on Jackson Martinez? I think so. I mean, uh, there's already a premium that's uh, been brought about by previous uh, high expenditure from China and also from from the Middle East. But what you're seeing now is, uh, for example, I was speaking to the general manager of a Japanese club only yesterday who was telling me how difficult a market it is for them now because they can't find players at an affordable price of a sufficient quality because China has altered the market for East Asia. And that's that's going to be an issue for, for other markets in the area to, to deal with because they don't have the same uh, spending power. And also for, for the clubs in China who don't have necessarily huge finances because everyone else will expect them to pay that premium now now right. the, the big boys are, if you like. But uh, yeah. I think between China and the, the Premier League in England, you're, you're seeing rapidly increasing transfer fees on a, on a regular basis. And there's other leagues around Europe who maybe aren't going to be able to keep pace with that. Uh, if you want, um, you want an assessment of of Jackson Martinez's move to uh, to to Guangzhou Evergrande and and Christopher's uh, take on the rest of of this market, you can find a piece at ESPN FC um, that he just posted to his Twitter account, which is Chris Atkins uh, underscore. So, Christopher, the we have this uh, this changing market now because there's a new a new player on the scene, and as you said, the Middle East the Middle Eastern clubs have occasionally dipped their toes into these waters, but certainly not on this um, this kind of scale. Is this is this just a uh, a big you know one big wave that will subside and become um, less uh, you know there will be less spending and, and less players moving, or is this going to be how things just how things are now when it comes to the Chinese Super League? I think that, I think that's the the million dollar question or forty two million dollar question. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I, I I work here, as you say, I work in the industry here, and nobody's sure. I mean, 
what we're seeing from Evergrande is is indications of a long-term commitment to football with the with the academy structure they they, they put in place and also their their purchasing of young players. But there's other clubs who are spending a lot of money. We're not seeing that that same long-term commitment from yet. But I mean, it, it's it's going to be difficult to tell. Obviously, that what's going to influence that greatly is how strong these companies are doing financially in the coming years. This level of spending isn't sustainable as a as an enterprise because they're not bringing in the income these clubs don't bring in great income so they they've got limits i'm sure on how much they can spend and at the moment it's profitable in other ways in terms of marketing their brand or or maybe political connections to spend this money but there's going to be limits to that that expenditure and that leads us to maybe the larger question of, of football infrastructure within China. Um, before, even before or as some of these uh, transfers were coming, um, uh, hitting the newswire, Christopher, we were, I was talking on the show about this reported involvement of Chinese companies in the Portuguese second division in an attempt, um, I suppose, not only to spread their brand, uh, whatever that may be, but also find a place for some Chinese players to, to go and, and learn their craft. Uh, we, we know that there are... Um, now, uh, uh, residential academies being being promoted by the government or being run by the government. How how is Chinese football coming along? Because you can buy all the Brazilians in the world, that doesn't mean that you're going to become a footballing nation. No, uh, it was a point that that's been raised continually in the last few days in terms of the Chinese Super League to become comparable with the top leagues around the world needs to have top Chinese talent, and that's going to take. I don't know, 15, 20 years minimum to, to develop because at the moment it's not coming through. Even the, the under 16 level, under 14 level results aren't that strong at the moment. So that's something they, that they're aware of. Whether they can fix that easily enough is, is another issue. I mean, there's, there's plenty of obstacles that need to be overcome in, in that respect in terms of the, the grassroots, uh, training of the young players and also, also, the football and culture in the country needs to be developed. If you're not having kids or adults going out and playing on a regular basis, you're, you're never going to mm-hmm. develop top-level talent. So that's that's something that they're aware of and they are trying to work on, but it, it takes a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Regarding the, the sponsoring of the, the Portuguese League, I mean, they've backtracked on the, the need for each club to, to take okay. a Chinese player, which okay. is good because... The, that was a ridiculous condition, but I mean, it's all part of the expanding the sports industry by investing overseas. And you've seen it recently with City Football Group and also Jorge Mendes' uh, guest food uh, agency has also had Chinese investment only recently. Uh, the 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 cultural uh, the cultural elements of the game are, are going to to be the part that I, I I'm most fascinated by because it's something that we deal with here in the United States, um, whether or not soccer or football is culturally important is going to say a lot about how good the soccer is here and certainly how good the national team is obviously in terms of numbers there's there's no it's not an issue if if more uh, chinese players are, are or more chinese kids are, are pushed towards the game what is it about though and i don't know that you're an expert on this necessarily christopher but what is it about chinese sports culture that allows them to you know put some some talented uh, kids into an assist situation where they become the best divers in the world but have a problem putting together 11 players to become a good football side? I think, uh, I mean, I've been in China since 2008 now, and this is probably the question I've been asked most over the years. It's 
China's generally very good at coaching anything that can be repetitively practiced. So you're talking you know, diving, gymnastics, uh, even things like table tennis and badminton, where they're individual sports as well. But when, when it comes to team events, they, they haven't been quite so successful. They've had the same issues with, with basketball, which is very popular here. They haven't managed to kick on from the success of Yao Ming in, in the NBA. But I think it comes down to the, the cultural side of things. There's a, there's a lack of creativity in general. There's a, a fear of, of making mistakes. And that, when that is put into a, a team sports environment, it, it's a big problem because it, when you see the, the best, the most talented footballers in the world, I mean, from a young age, they've been used to taking, taking risks, to showing off their talents. And that's never encouraged in China. And so that's, that's something they're going to have to change in their mindsets if, if they want to develop, a, if you say, a Lionel Messi or something from within their own system. They, they're gonna, it's going to require a complete change in, in attitude and coaching at those very, very youngest levels. Mm-hmm. Does importing does importing Brazilians to play in the, the Super League does that does that at all help? I mean, certainly there's now examples, and 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 uh, I don't remember the numbers, but I know the Super League has scored uh, a, a very large and lucrative television contract. Yeah, uh, I'd be skeptical of such deals because I, I think they're largely inflated for the uh, uh, in terms of making a, a statement about how the league is growing. I, I don't think that is the genuine market value of the sure. of the league at present but uh in terms of how importing the players and and how that will help improve the the local players you i mean they should improve from playing alongside such players and you would think that seeing you know these brazilian stars or even jackson martinez on a regular basis would inspire a young generation to to go out and, and replicate their their feats but they have to be allowed that. I mean, the, there's a limited number of free spaces to play to play football. Normally, pitches you have to, to pay for. That puts off a lot of people. Mm. Parents don't encourage their kids to go out and do sports because they they consider it a bit dangerous, or they need to focus on their studies. And that's that's the real problem here. You have to get parents encouraging their kids to to go out and play because the best players are the ones who everything comes naturally to. They've learned the game themselves before later maybe having everything refined by a coach. You can't just start from from the very bottom and coach from, from nothing. There has to be a basis there. And if you don't have kids going out and playing in parks, in the, in the street, you, you'll never get that. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it certainly applies here as well. Uh, you, you know, the... One of the knocks against uh, against the game in in the United States, and obviously the United States is the, the sporting culture is is very different than China. I'm not going to say it it's similar, but they're they're similar in the in the way that um, you know convincing people that 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 soccer should be or football should be part of uh, the ex- okay. the experience okay. is is difficult. And one of the knocks, of course, is access. As you just identified, there's an as an access issue in in China. Is the game you know, uh, from what I've read, it seems as though this this is a game that's being catered towards some people with money in in China, where traditionally the the best footballing countries in the world, Christopher, and you know this, the, it, it's the it's the blue collar, it's the working class that ultimately provides the foundation. Is, is it too far backwards for China to fix that? I think uh, you you've hit the nail on the head with another big issue there in terms of 
uh, a lot of the kids who are attending these academies are, are the ones who can afford to pay the, the fees they're charging. And uh, obviously, if your parents, say, both work in, in factories or work in uh, you know government jobs in terms of maybe cleaning the roads or those kind of basic menial jobs, you're, you, you're not going to spend what little money you do have on, on a sport. So that that's a, a, a cultural thing that they're going to have to uh, get past. As you say, most or nearly every nation who produces a lot of footballing talent, the, the majority comes from generally poorer backgrounds. I mean, there are exceptions to that, but it, it's a, a generally the case. In China, most people who can afford to play football are, are middle class because, uh, as I point out, you have to pay for the pitches, etc. So... Uh, that's something that is going to be different in their development here and perhaps something they need to look at. How how can we encourage people from all sections of society to get involved in the sport? Because perhaps for, for those who are middle class, their parents have different ambitions in terms of maybe furthering their studies, etc. Whereas for, for those from, from poorer background, sport is a way out of, out of their, their situation. And that, that's something China can look to embrace perhaps. How does that impact the the Super League as as an entertainment product? Uh, just the the class divides um, in, in people who are actually interested in the in the game. I mean, the tickets are very cheap in China in terms of the the season tickets. You're probably talking uh, for most cl- for the top clubs even about uh, ninety US dollars for for a, a season ticket for the whole season. So that's that's pretty reasonable for for most people here. Uh, the individual match tickets at say Evergrande can be about fifteen, even twenty dollars uh, a piece for for an average league game. So they're, they're a bit more expensive. But other clubs you you can get for even like one or two dollars depending on on who it is. So uh, it, it's accessible. The the problem is getting time off work for most people. So it, it's it is generally a a fairly middle class uh, pursuit to go and actually watch the the games live. Uh, it does also depend where in the stadium you are as well. Like many many places, if the fan groups can be uh, from a, a more humble background, often. But it's um, I think it, it's it's all part of uh, how China needs to develop this this culture. You know, they need to get all sections of society, from the richest down to the poorest, involved in football, whether that be watching or playing. Because you have to have that love for the game if you're going to bring through players on on mass. You might get one or two talents, but but if you want to really develop the, the the national team, you you need to have the whole the whole country having at least a, a basic interest in the game. Uh, the the one, one of the articles I, I read about uh, <clears throat> the investment uh, being made in Chinese football and the amount of money being spent on these players. Indicated that they expect to be the the third highest attended league in the world, something like that. I'm not sure that it even matters where they rank, but certainly talking about cresting twenty two thousand per game, et cetera, et cetera. You've already indicated that maybe you know the, the television contract slightly inflated to make the league look better and the growth of the league look look stronger. Is there is are they getting the the, the attendance numbers really indicate the popularity of the league? I think so. I mean, uh, in the, initially, certainly with Evergrande, there was there was accusations that you know they were bringing in fans for with free tickets and stuff like that. But I don't think there's necessarily a problem. Now they they fill their stadium 
with uh, 50,000 people for pretty much every game, and, and that's a great thing. And it's the same for for Beijing Guan in, in Beijing and also uh, some of the other sites who have stronger attendance figures. There's more that can be done. They don't do a great deal in terms of uh, going out into the local community and encouraging people to, to come and watch the game. And I think that's something that they, they really need to focus on and getting more more school kids involved in going to watch games on a regular basis. But, I mean, they're, they're talking about the, the league the league officials, sorry, reckon that the 25,000 average attendance is going to be broken this year, and that's that's a big step. They'll they'll move past, I think, Italy and France in 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 Europe if they can uh, make those figures. So that that's it. that shows that things are progressing at least. And in terms of of the actual quality of the football. Where do things stand right now? How does this influx of new talent impact that? Certainly you can't expect adding a, a, a raft of new players is just going to overnight make the league that much better. I think it has to be remembered, of course, that you can only play four foreign players at, at any one time. There's only okay. five in the squad. So that the, you're talking every team needs to have seven Chinese players on the pitch at any one time. And for the top teams, I mean, they have the best Chinese talent available. So the top four or five teams now are, are probably playing at as high a level as you get in, in Asian football. I mean, all the teams who will compete in the Asian Champions League this year will, will be expected to get to the knockout stage. And you would think Guangzhou would be one of the, probably the favorites for the title again, with maybe Shanghai SIPG also uh, one of the favorites. So... I mean, Asian football isn't the strongest, but if they're consistently at that level, uh, where only maybe a couple of sides from UAE, maybe one side from Japan can compete, that's that's got to be a, a good thing for China in terms of uh, selling its football internationally. But you know, we have five, six, and maybe even going forward, seven, eight teams who are who are playing at the highest level that Asia can offer at the moment. I suppose there's no need. Um... For, for the Super League to be sold to, to people outside of China. I mean, obviously the Premier League is a worldwide brand, and, and you see La Liga, La Liga is adjusting their kickoff times in, in many cases to try to appeal to, to Asian audiences. Christopher, I, I, you know, with that, that incredible size of, of the Chinese market, do they even bother with trying to make themselves um, relevant for, uh, in foreign markets? I think... Uh... For the moment, the, the focus for Chinese clubs is, is on the domestic market. Obviously, as you say, they, they do have com- competition from the European leagues. European leagues uh, are desperate to, to uh, be the number one in China. And at the moment, it's not particularly clear who is. I would, I would say Spain is probably doing the, the best job, but Italy and the Premier League have a long-standing popularity here. Uh, and in recent years, you've seen uh, a large push in popularity for, for Bayern, but it's probably the top English clubs are most popular. You've always had that kind of Euro snobbishness about some uh, fans in China who stay up late to watch the, the European games, but maybe won't watch the domestic league because they, they consider it not good enough. But those fans, I think, are starting to come around to, to the fact that the, the CSL is is a decent project. If they like football, they can go watch it and, and enjoy it. So I think that's a good thing. I know you've had similar issues in uh, MLS, but sure. I, I would hope that, that also people are starting to realize that, that MLS is a, 
is a brand worth watching in the in the years ahead. Uh, certainly, certainly room to be a fan of the of the biggest uh, leagues and, and and teams in the world, as well as going and watching live and local football, especially as uh, the 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 quality improves in in numerous uh, countries trying to to start up, um, you know, trying to get their leagues going here. <laughs> Last thing here, uh, Christopher, as I excuse me, cough through this. You, you, uh, as you said, the, the the multi-million-dollar, billion-dollar question is how long can this last? But, but I guess in in sort of framing it slightly differently, how long do you imagine that these companies, these investors, are willing to operate in the red in order to get the league to whatever standard, whatever arbitrary standard is dictated by, say, you know, government interest in the league growing? At what point do they start? They sort of say, okay, that's enough for now. Let's try to recoup some of this this money that we're clearly losing. It's uh, it's very similar to the, to the other question. Okay. In terms of it's hard hard to answer without knowing what's going on at the the very top levels in terms of discussions. But I mean, if we take Guangzhou as the the example, I mean they they've led the way for China on everything. So I think most people will be trying to copy what they've done. Guangzhou this year have. Uh, have sold three players, two of which were, were squad players, and they um, they've recouped 25 million euros from the domestic market in uh, in those sales. So they can offset that against, uh, say, Jackson's addition. Jackson should be the only foreign player they they bring in this year. Uh, they've also bought two young players from back from Europe at a, a fairly reasonable price. So their their transfer outlay will probably uh, end up at around 25 million plus whatever increase in, in salary. Uh, but they, Guangzhou, have also got a solid basis in terms of sponsors. I mean, the last two years they've been sponsored by uh, Nissan's Chinese subsidiary. They they also have a separate deal to the rest of the league with Nike for, for merchandise and uh, and other products, whatever uh, they need, and also their advertising. So they they have a fairly decent advertising revenue. Each game you go to, there's the adverts being played on the big screen that they've separately signed from from the the, the league's deals with certain advertisers. So they they're a fairly strong financial entity, and also the way it's allowed their brand to build. I mean, Evergrande have gone into so many different areas now off the back of their fame from from football. So. Other companies are eyeing that and thinking, well, if we can achieve the same levels of fame that Evergrande have, maybe we can diversify our brand into other areas using that that status that, you know, we're a reliable company, whereas maybe at the moment people who haven't heard of them are a bit suspicious if they were to go into, as Evergrande have, bottled water and cooking oil and uh, film and also a music company. So Evergrande have, have really led the way, and I think that's what we're going to see more of. How important is it, uh, this is the, the last question I swear, Christopher, how important is it and, and how much of this is building towards the uh, the bid for 2026? I think that's the ultimate goal, uh, whether 2026 will will happen because Qatar has 2022 as it stands, so I don't think 2026 can be in Asia under FIFA's current rules, and then 2030 there. They're on about Argentina and Uruguay having a centenary edition. So I think uh, probably 2034 is looking like the one China will, will have to go for. But, I mean, that's the thing. It, it might be 
AMCIFA's interest to uh, look into Qatar's bidding process and allow that 2026 to, to happen in China. I think there would certainly be some conspiracy theories in, in that respect if uh, if uh, Qatar were to be stripped of the World Cup and then China given 2026. But that's uh, the stated ambition of Xi Jinping. And I think, uh, as you've seen with the Summer Winter Olympics, it's it's going to be one of uh, China's footballing goals. They they want to show they're capable of staging these events. Christopher Atkins, who is a uh, player agent and also a writer based in uh, Guangzhou, China. He's got a piece up at ESPN FC right now that talks about Jackson Martinez's deal moving to Evergrande in the Chinese Super League. Chris, thank you very much for the time, and um, you know we'll see what happens in the 2016 uh, Super League season. Should be a fascinating one. Thank you very much, and yeah, uh, I encourage you all to, to keep track of it. There goes uh, Christopher Atkins. Good stuff from him. We're going to transfer, transfer, transition to the Premier League and talk to our friend Luke Moore from the Football Ramble about the uh, status of that Premier League title race. Leicester City leading the way. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. Backhill.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Ignore the World Soccer Talk top, uh, thing. That's fine. It's whatever. We'll get it fixed. On the line with me now, Luke Moore from the World Famous Football Ramble joins us to talk Premier League as he occasionally does. Hi, Luke. How are you? Hello. I'm pretty good. How are you? I am. I'm doing well. Um, let's uh, let's let's talk about uh, Leicester City Football Club because my oh my, here they are again. Uh, not only top of the table, but impressing and and Jamie Vardy scoring and I, you know, I, 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 it's starting to get to the point now where people are really legitimately talking about what it would mean if they won this thing, Luke. And I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but we start we we kind of start to we have to start believing at this point. Yeah, I think we're duty bound to start talking about what could happen and what would it, what it would be like if it did happen. I think you know, it's not a flash in the pan, is it? I mean, they're ten points ahead of fifth, and there's whatever fourteen, is it fourteen games left now, something like that. So they're well, well over the halfway point, and, and they're still doing the business. Um, so yeah, it's very exciting. It would be great for the league if it happened. Um, and not only that, I think you know we've got Spurs, who probably look like the second best team in the division at the moment. Um, and if they were to do the business as well, that would also be a huge, uh, huge change. So. Um, yeah, exciting times and, and uh, clearly uh, fantastic performance from Leicester last night against a transitional Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool side who are truly risible at the back at times. Um, but nevertheless, they you know they, they did their job well and Vardy scored two great goals and one particularly exceptional goal. So it was, it was great, great all round. Is is uh, you know on the other side of this? Of course, that's not that that's not. How, how do you how do you frame up Liverpool right now? Because you know Klopp is getting some moments, he's creating some excitement, but we know that in terms of the players, it, it just he just doesn't have the necessary uh, tools to to go after anything legitimate here with with Liverpool Football Club. No, I think it's a learning curve for him for the rest of the season. Really, I think Liverpool knew or Liverpool fans knew that once they changed the manager around and they clearly 
at least partly did it because Klopp became available and they trust him and they and they are excited to have him managing the club and, and so they should. But I mean, they've got an imbalanced squad at the moment. They're not really sure what they're doing at the back. I was surprised to see him give Mignolet a new deal. I mean, clearly he wants to keep him on board if that's the case or maybe they want to move on for a higher fee at some point. But he's not really a Klopp goalkeeper in my view. And so, yeah, like I say, the rest of the season is a bit of a free hit for him and, and his real work will start in earnest when they report back for, for pre-season in the summer. I really genuinely don't see them having any more impact in the season apart from well, that now. And, and if you look at, you know, obviously you look at the table, they're in eighth right now. They're a, they're a good, you know, they're a good 11 points off of fourth place. If they don't make Champions League football, and I think it's very unlikely that they do, how much more difficult is it going to be for Klopp to, to, to build for, the, for next season? It will be more difficult, but fortunately for Liverpool, they're a club with such a with such draw and such a history and, and such a um, tradition in the game, not just in the UK but worldwide, um, that they can attract players. They can. They, they're one of the few teams who have a better chance of attracting a, a top quality player, even though they're not in the Champions League. And they've also got a new stage, a new stand opening, I think for next season, which will take their capacity up even higher. Um, so that's a, a plus point for them too. It will clearly be a drawback, but a club that size can can do uh, can do, do 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 business when it comes to attracting top quality players, where perhaps other teams who aren't in the in the Champions League can. Uh, we um we we obviously had a, a bunch of games yesterday, and I'm just looking at the some of the results. I I, I was watching myself, um, uh, Liverpool and, and Leicester City, which was the. Uh, the game we were getting here on uh, on the main network. Um, in in terms of of you know th- this point in the season, whether or not it's it's City or if you believe in Spurs or somehow you think Arsenal's going to. I mean, again, we're we're seeing something from Arsenal here that's got to be troubling for their fans, Luke. Yeah, no, they've, they've gone a few games without scoring now, and, and to be fair to, to them, I mean, Fraser Forster was fantastic in the Southampton goal last night he's one of the outstanding goalkeepers in the Premier League and they've been greatly improved since they got him back from injury I mean he's, he's in he just he just injects so much confidence into that rear guard that their, their, their record with him must be so much better than it is without him and I wouldn't I don't I have no clue why Liverpool aren't going after him or going after Butland in the summer maybe the better goalkeeper for, for them to give me a new, a new contract was crazy in my view but stick on Arsenal um yeah, they're going for a sticky patch. They always do at some point in the season. Um, and the reality is that there are other teams currently who are more consistent than them. Uh, and it's very hard to make an argument for them to, to push on. But then things do change. I mean, Arsenal are capable of going on these runs uh, and, and really improving. So we never know. It's certainly very, very poised at the top of the table. I think it's difficult to see the top four being unsettled now. Um, it is as it is at the moment, I think. But you never know, and you never know when Arsenal have gone a run, and they definitely have it in them to win a title. But it's been a long time since they've done so, so they might have even forgotten how they've done it. The uh, the the gap is five points now between Arsenal and, and Manchester United. Manchester United with the with a win yesterday um, over Stoke, uh, and 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 you know we've had this this speculation the last couple of weeks: is Louis Van Hall going to last, and has he turned in a, a resignation? Um, you know, has he, has he offered his resignation, and Ed Woodward having to come out and say he, he hasn't? And, and, and it just, you know, it's still unsettled, but it, it seems as though they're going to ride this thing out, at least for this season. Yeah, maybe strange for them to, to fire him now, just that all they'd be able to do is get gigs in and, and um, to, the, to the end of the season and then make a move for someone in the summer. But they need to do something in the summer, that's for sure, because now Man City have taken Guardiola on 
they need to make a move. I mean, it's going to be unacceptable for them to, to stick with the same thing that's been going on this season, next season. I think that's unthinkable, actually. I don't think that'll happen. Um, what I said that the top four are um, are settled and the Man United, oh, it's hard to see it changing. May United are only five points off fourth, but you've got to look at the consistency of the teams above them. So it's hard to make an argument for them to, to make up 10 points on Leicester. Right? It's hard for, to make an argument that they're a better side than Man City. And it's going to involve um, Arsenal dropping off or continuing to go the way they're going and Man United to improve to overtake them because I can't see them going above Tottenham the way Tottenham are playing. So it's a tough one for United. They, they need to accept the season is what it is, I guess. But they need to make a move in the summer. The summer's going to be huge for them. And I don't mean just chucking a load of couple of hundred million pound on players. I mean getting a proper strategy in place with a long-term view with the manager. Make up the shortfall they're starting to experience off the pitch as well. Um, uh, but they've had, they've had academy co- directors quitting on them because of because of because of um, unsettled um, unsettled members of staff there. They, they really are losing their way if they're not careful. This summer's going to be huge for them. It's it, it's I don't know. It's fascinating to me that 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 you know, in light of Pep and the announcement that he's definitely going to City now, it's all about Manchester United's response to that. But look, coming to City and coming to Pep Guardiola, taking over from Manuel Pellegrini next year, and and Pellegrini now as a lame duck ma- uh, manager for the rest of the season, and and obviously this is going to make things very interesting for for Pep in Germany. What what do you make? I mean, look, it, it was probably a poorly kept secret. I think we all. A lot of us had drawn the conclusion it was probably going to be City in the end, but what do you make of the announcement being made publicly this way? I think the only reason they can have done it is because they thought it was going to be leaked or maybe um, someone important in the process, Pellegrini or Guardiola or or whatever, insisted upon it because it seems odd to to announce it now. Um, It must have been in danger of being leaked and they needed to just get in there first, I suppose. Um, yeah, all I can say really is that timings are. I don't really have any contacts inside the club or inside Bayern Munich, so I don't know. But um, it was a poorly kept secret anyway, so maybe they just wanted to nip it in the bud and end uh, months and months of speculation that would have been tedious to all of us. So I thank them for that. Uh, sure. I mean, and it gives us something to talk about. I mean, uh, but but what is it? How how do you think Pellegrini? Pellegrini's been extremely classy through this whole situation, as far as I can tell. What what can he do now? I mean, and, and does does he have? Do you think he's the type of manager that can keep control of this team, keep the reins fairly tight, considering that they're all going to be looking now uh, to, to next year when Pep arrives? I mean, they, they certainly certainly the players are going to want to play well so that Pep Guardiola has something to, to see and, and, and decide to keep them around, but there, there's got to be an awkward situation now in that dressing room. Yeah, Joe Hart showed a bit of leadership last night on the TV over here where he said that, you know, we're all behind him, we all like him, he's a great guy, we want to, we want to win, want to achieve things, and we're happy to do that under him, and so we're going to keep going, which is you'd expect. I mean, by one or two, I'm thinking of someone like Yaya Toure, who's a bit of a problem area anyway. I mean, listen, Yaya Toure threw his agent as piped up this week after Guardiola was announced saying, oh, he doesn't want to stick around. The reason he's doing that is because Guardiola will kick him out as soon as he can. Right. Um, he's not a Guardiola player. He's not going to flourish under Guardiola. He's not going to, to be frank, he's not going to want to do the work that Guardiola is going to expect. So he's, that's just a preemptive strike from him. Um, he's not really given Pellegrini years all anyway. Um, so that's not surprising. But aside from one or two like that, I think overall they're all going to keep playing for him and they're going to want to achieve. They're going to, they're going to want to be in Guardiola's plans. They're going to want to win trophies because that's what they're like. They're ambitious professional athletes. I don't see it changing a huge amount. Um, I don't think they will use it as an excuse if they fall short either. Okay. So I think it's probably going to be business as usual for them. 
uh, you know, uh, looking at the, uh, the, 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 the transfers for this particular window, um, just give me a, your sense, Luke, before I let you go about, you know, how this transfer window played out. Certainly there was some, some movement at the bottom end of the table as teams look to, to try to improve their squads ahead of a push to, to get out of the, tra- uh, sorry, to, to avoid relegation. Yeah, Newcastle were clearly the standout there. They made a couple of moves and they strengthened in the right areas with some good quality players. And I think, you know, Andrew Townsend has shown he can play at Premier League level. He's a good fit for them. Um, Shelby's a great move. Um, that's worked out nicely so far and I think it will continue to do so. And if Dumbia can sort his work permit issues out, he is a European experienced player with striker with international pedigree. So they've, they've done the best amount of business. I mean, from what I can see. Other than that, I look fairly quiet. You know, a couple of clubs signed a couple of players I don't really know an awful lot about, so I need to go and bone up on them. But um, yeah, you're right in your assessment. I think it's been a team like Newcastle who's done the best business, and they needed to because they needed to, they desperately needed players. The way the club's been run recently has been hardly set up for them to be successful. And McLaren's clearly put his foot down. They've, they've gone out there and, and signed players, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. And um, they've given themselves a good chance now. I've just got to go and implement it. Uh, it seems as though January is not the, the 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 window that the top clubs. I mean, even even a club like Manchester United, they they brought in they brought in some players. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, even a club like Manchester United is is sort of saying, "Well, we don't want to play the premiums that are uh, that are required in January. If we if we stick with this squad, we can at least maybe challenge for a Champions League spot or whatever." And certainly, Van Hall's uh, record has not been the greatest so far in the transfer market. Um, but there, there is. We do have a tilting of the market based on the amount of money, the television money for some of these smaller clubs, Luke. And I just got done talking to uh, a gentleman who's in in China, who's sitting there watching the the Chinese Super League teams spend money like it's going out of style. And and I wonder what you make of of, of how the transfer market is being impacted by all of this new money. Yeah, in the UK, it's been big. I mean, you know, um, look at look at a team like Stoke signing players and giving out wages for players who, with respect to Stoke, could go elsewhere in Europe, bigger clubs elsewhere in Europe. But the money on offer is, it comes into play properly next season, but the money on offer is astonishing. Um, and so it's not a great surprise to see um, see teams, middling, middling Premier League teams, signing good quality players. I mean, the problem is that on, on a wider scale, is, is things that Liverpool just announced this new stadium and this new stand and they've announced new ticket prices. And they've increased the prices again. And with, in light of, of the amount of money coming in from TV deals, it's completely unnecessary. They're, been, they're running a risk. It's a very short-term idea. Um, it's very risky. Um, and that's disappointing to see. But, I mean, clearly the money of watching the Premier League outstrips all the other leagues in, in Europe. Um, and the money coming in in China is clearly money from, from a different sort of, it's in a different way. Um, so that's why they're being able to, to, to sign players like Ramirez and Jackson Martinez and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, there wasn't a long time ago that, that the Premier League used to only attract um, older, older sort of aging stars for, for, for financial reasons. It takes a while for these leagues to grow. Um, I'm sure China's got a lot to offer in general for, 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 for people who like to go and experience different cultures and different things. So I mean, there's not a lot of China completely just because of that. I don't want to be snobbish about it. The same way I wouldn't want to be snobbish about MLS. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, clearly, just to sum up really quickly, there is a lot of money available in the Premier League to not only the big teams in the Champions League, but to middling Premier League teams too. Just being in the Premier League now is so big financially mm-hmm. that um, they can the clubs there can attract players from all over the place that might have gone elsewhere had they not been so money motivated. So it was very interesting to see what will happen and how it will pan out. Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble, uh, which you can uh, get at uh, thefootballramble.com and also on SiriusXM, which is uh, SiriusXM FC Channel 85. 
There you go. Luke, thank you very much for your time and, and your insight, and we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking as the, uh, the rest of the season unfolds. We'll see if the Foxes can, can finish this out and shock the world. Pleasure. Thanks. As always, pleasure. Nice to speak to you. Fantastic stuff from him. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll open the phone lines. We'll talk to you on a Wednesday. It is soccer morning. It's on backheel.com, and we'll be right back. Wide awake in the middle of the desert heat. Welcome to Soccer Morning. There you go. We're back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Thank you very much to Christopher Atkins and Luke Moore for joining us here. Good chat about China. Good chat about England. Let's chat about whatever is on your mind. What other countries of the world can we explore today on a Wednesday? It's sort of like a kid's show, you know, when the teacher and the cartoon teacher gets the kids on the bus and they take the magical bus and they visit like all the countries of the world in one day. Like, I feel like we can do that here at Soccer Morning. We go to China, we take our magic bus, the magic Soccer Morning bus, and we go to China, and we learn about China and Chinese football, and then we get it back on the bus, maybe we have lunch, should we have lunch in China? We probably have lunch in China. So we have lunch in China, then we get back on the bus, and we go across the globe to England, and then we get off, the because you don't want to have lunch in England. Then you get off the bus in England, and you learn about English football, and then you get back on the bus and you go home. That's a hell of a day. Actually, no. You get back on the bus and then you wait for people to call in at 646-832-3909 to give us whatever they want to talk about. And it can be China or it could be MLS because there's a couple of, of big stories there, including what I talked about with Antonio Nosorino and the MLS admonishment to Orlando City Soccer Club over there meddling in D.C. United's exclusive rights of negotiation, which is a thing that's happening still. Uh, I seem to be okay. I just uh, I, I get I'm getting frozen here. My computer's being very slow this morning. Hopefully everything is going out over the air. Well, the podcast will be fine. So if uh, if you miss anything here because I'm off the air momentarily, then uh, the the podcast will be fine. That that's yeah. We're we're having some issues. I think I think we're having some some problems. But I'm I'm, I'm working through them. All right. Let me, let me see if the phone calls are coming in. We've got uh, Roberto in Connecticut. Roberto, what's up, my man? Hey, how are you, Jason? Good morning. Uh, good morning, sir. What's on your mind? Uh, I just want to talk about the uh, the <laughs> the uh, Pep Guardiola signing. Well, I don't want to say signing, but he's going to Manchester City come next season. Um, yeah, yeah I, it's interesting to see such a, a well-designed coach and successful coach like Guardiola come to England and Manchester City or all clubs. But I just have a question for you, two questions for you. One, do you feel like the club has treated Manuel Pellegrini wrong? Because you look at a manager like Manuel Pellegrini, he's been classy ever since he came to Manchester City. And two, is this a sign that maybe we'll see Manchester City just dominate the league completely, or is it going to be closer than it is maybe a la Spanish? I think, uh, well, let's go back to your first, uh, your first comment. It's interesting to see a, a coach like Pep Guardiola go to England. I'm not surprised because at this point, the English Premier League um, is the most 
famous league in the world. It's the it's the richest league in the world. It's the most it's one of the most competitive high level leagues in the world outside of, of of Germany below the Bayern Munich level. And what I think we're seeing here is that Pep Guardiola, you know, he he succeeded in Spain defeating the evil Real Madrid empire or whatever, you know, winning things with Barcelona. But Barcelona obviously has huge advantages in Spain that outstrip everybody but Barcelona. I think Pep wants to challenge himself. I want I think Pep wants to see if he can win in a more competitive environment than what he's been in in Spain and, and Germany. I think he wants to go to the Champions League and win the Champions League with a team that's never tasted that success before. And and I, so I think that this is really about Pep challenging himself, which I completely respect. As for City's um treatment of Pellegrini, I think it's shameful. I really do. I think it's shameful. I get you can't pass on Pep Guardiola if he's available and he wants to sign for you. But to have that guy with four months to go in the season, three months to go in the season, whatever it is, made into a lame duck manager, a guy who's done nothing but, um, you know, he hasn't succeeded maybe on the level they wa- they've wanted yet, but he's done better than his predecessor. He's been resolute in his commitment to the team. He could have stepped aside. He could have said this is too much for me and, and bounced. And he didn't, and I and I think it's I think it's kind of wrong what what's happening with with Pellegrini. And no, Pep Guardiola does not make City into a dominant team that rolls over everybody in the, in the English Premier League. This is not going to happen. They can go out and spend as much money as they want. Pep can be uh, the, the the tactical genius that he is, and they can still run into numerous uh, speed bumps along the way. That's going to make it. As did, I mean, look, uh, you know, there may be a year or two where Pep takes City to a title and they roll and they're 10 points, 12 points, 15 points up with a month to go. But I, I don't think that that is going to happen on a regular basis. No, no, absolutely. And I agree with your comments about the treatment that of that uh, Manchester City gave Pellegrini. I mean, you look at a manager and let me ask you this, though. Do you think Pellegrini was better than Mancini in his um, time at uh, Manchester City? Because yeah. they won easily the same trophies. Yeah, I know. I, th- I think I think Mancini always looked a little deer in headlights at City, um, where uh, Pellegrini is more just the this the, the state the elder statesman, you know, sort of. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, and and maybe that's not what City needs now. Which again, I understand why you sign up Pep Guardiola. They they want somebody more, uh, somebody younger, somebody more vibrant, somebody. Obviously, who has won every single trophy that he's uh, had a chance to win. Uh, so Pellegrini's done better than Mancini, but certainly Pep is a, an upgrade at this point. Definitely. I mean, it would also be interesting to see Manchester United get um, Jose Mourinho, if that's even possible. I don't. I, I hope that doesn't happen. And I and I look. I'm not a. I'm not a complete fanboy for Jose Mourinho, but I enjoy his antics probably more than a lot of people do these days. I think he is a poor fit for Manchester United on a bunch of different levels and I'm no Manchester United fan but I think that they have right. they have a, a a legacy they have a club character that Jose Mourinho just runs completely diametrically opposite to and, and for them to sign him up is basically saying we are now like everybody else and if you want to be like everybody else fine fine do it join the join the real world I guess is the way to look at it but that's going to change who Manchester United is they're not going to have the same sort of, uh, sort of um, you know, nostalgic cachet that they that they had before, and and maybe there's no manager in the world who can help them get that back with Alex Ferguson now retired, but they should at least go through the motions of trying to find a manager who more appropriately uh, fits their model. In fact, here's the, the sad thing: if David Moyes had been just a little bit better, 
He's the, he is that guy. I mean, he really is that guy. It just didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's the situation Manchester United are going to be in for the next few seasons. But um, maybe the blue side of Manchester is going to be a bit more successful than the red side. We'll but see. Time will tell. That's we'll see. Sure. I, again, thanks for the call, Roberto. I think it's fascinating to see all of this discussion about um, uh-huh, all of this discussion <laughs> about Manchester United. Sorry, I'm laughing because we're having technical dis- uh, difficulties again. All of this discussion about Manchester United having to respond to what Manchester City is doing. Yeah, there's the ringing again. I mean, whatever. Sorry, we're having some technical difficulties here on a, on a Wednesday morning. Back at it after a couple of days off. Bill, you're on the air. What's up? Jason, yeah, we'll leave England. We'll fly over to China, and hopefully you let me go to the United States. Absolutely. Right. Hey, yeah, yeah, sure. Man, hey, look, it's home. We're, we're, we're good. We, yeah, we're good. I'm reading a lot of people talking about the Chinese League and how horrible it is and awful it is and everything like this. And I'm hoping people got to realize that if they start throwing money around, that the best players in the world are going to go there. And if their government is getting behind this with all the money that the government has, this league in five years could be the best league in the world. If they have the best players, they're the best league. Yeah, maybe. Uh, they still look. They, we still identified um, with Christopher the fact that they, there's only you know they, they have rules in place, and maybe they change the rules. But right now, you're only allowed to have four foreign players on your squad and you're only allowed to play with four on the field at any given time so you have to have seven chinese players on the field they need a lot they need a lot of much better chinese talent in order to compete on that level bill it's not going to happen in five years not with not with the well, way I'm sure go ahead if if they start to see that they're competing at all with the rest of the world if their league is starting to move up they'll just change the rules of course Maybe, sure, you know, They'll sure. make it that you can have 10 international players on the field that they know they can stop bringing in money instead of just keeping spending it. They'll do it. I, I don't know about that, to be honest with you, because I really do think the Chinese goal is to turn China into a power, not just make their league a popular league. I think they're, what, they're, what they're trying to do is buy up some talent that they can then use to help push the league forward. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll see if that's successful. But that, the reason for the foreigner restrictions is to, to, to prop up soccer in China, and, and that's going to take a long time. This, look, for all of the, the consternation and hand-wringing that MLS fans are doing over the Chinese spending spree, keep in mind, again, the, the number of players is limited that they can actually go and spend on. Yeah, they're, they're getting some great talent. Don't get me wrong. But how uneven are those teams going to be? Very much like MLS teams in a lot of ways. I mean, MLS teams tend to be... But uh, seriously uneven in some in some cases because of the top level talent and those starters who are making sixty five or a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's going to take time. It's just going to take time. And I don't think we should be. I don't think we. There's anything to worry about right now. And somebody's throwing at me that uh, that uh, uh, see. MLS has more competition coming, and it's and he's sending me something from the Qatari Stars League, which. I don't get that. How is that MLS competition? What is M- how is MLS competing with the Qatari League? For what? For for aging players? Okay, fine. Then go develop young American players, and I won't worry about it. I talk to that to people about that all the time with people. We're not even competing with England. We're not competing with anybody outside this country. 
We're competing with this country. We're competing with all the other sports we have in this country. We have to get more people watching this sport in our country for it to grow. We don't have to worry about the rest of the world. No, I don't, That's why I even don't like give a, the look, Chinese league, like people saying that this is competition, but this isn't competition. No, no, huh? good, good for We're, China. Apples look, and oranges. Yeah, I know people are coveting, all right? Like they're coveting the Chinese spending. Fine. You want to do that? You want to throw at MLS ownership and MLS and the league as a whole that they should be spending 45 million pounds on, on Jackson Martinez? I guess. I mean, I think that's completely ridiculous. The others, but the thing about it is, I I don't I don't care. Like, good for China, good for their fans. You know, if this happens to show up on my television one night, uh, maybe I'll check it out. I mean, I have an interest in the A League, and that you know, a lot of people tell you the A League is complete crap. That's fine. That doesn't. I, I I can watch whatever as long as I understand what context it's taking place in. American soccer doesn't need to go spend forty five million dollars on Jackson Martinez right now. I'm sorry, they don't. No, and that's, that's, I love the way Americans, like Don Garber, I'm like, everybody, people talk about him and they hate some of the rules. And I love all the rules he has in place because I love that he's slowly moving this league along in the right way. And like, like I think may happen with China now is they may go crazy spending ridiculous amount of money on their league and then five years from now it may fold. Right. No, no, well, no yeah, we, I, I don't know. I, that's the thing. I don't want to make any predictions about the bottom falling out of the Chinese league, but this is, this is clearly lost leader type stuff. They are not spending money that they're making. This is not the Premier League where suddenly a bunch of teams at the bottom end of the table have television revenue coming in that they get to spend on player acquisitions. This is China saying, we want to, we want a shortcut. We want to hit the nitrous booster on our league. Okay, what do we do? Spend a bunch of money that we're not going to be making back in the next 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, not unless they start developing a lot of talent that they can then sell on to, to defray these costs. Not unless their ticket prices go up dramatically and suddenly they're selling out 50,000-seat stadiums at 45 bucks a pop. That's not happening right now. So, again, I'm not judging the Chinese league. Good for them. Go, go do that. But this does not mean that MLS is failing, and it's certainly the, the notion that, that China or Qatar are, are competing with MLS is only true if you care that much about John Terry and where he plays. That's, that's, only, that's the only reason to care. All right, you got anything else, Bill? I, I agree with you 100%. I just want to throw out there real quick. I just got my tickets for the Copa America, and I've sat with the supporters before in the past, and maybe I'm aging myself because maybe it was a lot longer ago than I thought, but the seats were always general admission. And I saw something on this when I went to buy my ticket that the seats, you must sit in your seat that you're assigned. And I was like, ah, maybe they just have to write that in there because they have to give you a seat number. But now with our general, our seats in the supporter section, there are three price ranges, which I've never seen before. And I wonder if any outlaw members, if this has happened in the past, Front row seats in the supporter section is $225. Whoa. The next 10 rows are $95, and then all the sections behind that are $75. So you really uh, do have to sit in the seat you're assigned because right. you can't go into a higher rated right. uh, seat section. Right, 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 right. I see what you're saying. Because if you pay $225, you are not going to be cool if somebody's taking that seat because they got there first. And that's without a doubt. And that goes... That's only the first row, but then you still have another. You have another ten rows where they paid a higher amount, so you're not even getting into the first ten. I mean, it's going to be the the last whatever twenty rows behind the first eleven rows 
or I guess would be general admission, which they're saying they're not. And I'm just curious if that's the first time this has happened with the supporters, and this is really becoming yeah. a money grab. And they're trying to get as much money out of this as possible. Well, I've heard that, I've heard that the, the tickets for Copa America are, are are pretty ridiculous right now. And um, you know, I hope I, I really hope that these these prices aren't being set by U.S. Soccer, but I'm sure U.S. Soccer has a hand in all of this, and, and it's starting to get ridiculous. And I, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you, Bill. I mean, obviously, lots of people are going to want to go. I I want to go, but I'll, but I'll tell you right now, I can't afford, I can't justify that. I mean, if I get to go as, yeah. as media, then I'll go, but I can't justify buying tickets. Because that's my thing now, too. I'm like, this is at the group stages. It was $75 for my seat for the group stage. I can't imagine what the final at the Meadowlands is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, if this was, it would probably be $175. And I, I can't justify that myself. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate Thanks, the call, Bill. There goes, uh, there goes Bill up in New York. All right. I think that's a good place to end this edition. We've had all of those technical issues, but some very good guests today. Christopher Atkins uh, from Guangzhou in China talking about uh, the Chinese spending spree. Uh, Luke Moore from the Football Ramble talking about the, the state of the Premier League right now. Obviously, Pep Guardiola making that move to City in the summer. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, thank you to both of our callers, Roberto and Bill, the only two I was able to get in today. We'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully, the, the tech is a little bit better, but uh, I think that's going to wrap up this edition. What, what else? Trevor, anything else? Uh, we'll get to... Get those those uh, IDs fixed so it doesn't say the name of the website we're not attached to anymore. But yeah, I don't know. Follow us on Twitter, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.